Your car. It is lovely to have you with us on a Sunday morning. This morning we have got Tim England in the studio with us, which was very exciting. We're going to cover every element of dementia. Now, Standing with Lucy is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their choices, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, which is particularly appropriate for our show today, because therefore it it improves physical and mental health. So my special guest in the studio today is Tim England. Welcome, Tim. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. Tim is what is known as a dementia champion. It's an official title that denotes someone with excellent knowledge and skills uh, in the care of people with dementia. They're an advocate as well as a source of information and support for co-workers. And there are more than 353,800 Australians living with dementia this number is expected to rise to 400,000 in less than five years. So you can see how these dementia champions are extremely needed. Now, this isn't just um, a countrywide issue. This is a worldwide issue. Uh, my, my figures go back a little bit, so Tim may be able to bring us to, to more current ones. But as of 2013, there were an estimated 44.4 million people with dementia worldwide. This number will increase to an estimated 75.6 million in 2030 and 135.5 million in 2050. And much of the increase will be in developing countries. That's pretty huge. Um, To put that into costs, according to Alzheimer's research in the UK, their dementia statistics suggest that quite apart from the personal costs, the dementia costs in the UK economy are £23 billion a year, which is far more than double the combined cost of cancer and heart disease, which, of course, according to the World Health Organization, are in the four top leading causes of death in the world. The total direct health and aged care system expenditure on people with dementia in Australia was at least 4.9 billion and that was back in 2009 to 2010. So our show today we're actually going to talk about what dementia is, what it isn't, to understand the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's and to see how we can build more dementia friendly communities. And to do that, obviously, as I said, we have Tim with me. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, background to Tim because it's, um, I found, I found bits, my, uh, bits of this made me chuckle. So um, before Tim was a dementia champion. He was the creator of the world's first publicly accessible shark diving program at the internationally acclaimed venue Ocean World in Sydney, Australia. This is the benchmark program that allowed individuals who had no prior scuba diving experience to swim underwater in a public aquarium with over 70 sharks. Um, And his program has become the uh, framework for international aquariums to duplicate um, now, I have to say, Tim, that makes me laugh because that could be that program could be used in any corporate uh, company in the world, couldn't it? As uh, well, as swim with sharks. Uh, yes, actually, we 
we did it a few times. We had a few um, corporate um, dinners and CEOs and their senior management down there and their staff had a great and a lot of enjoyment watching which sharks were in more danger. <laughs> so we had a lot Whether of it was the heads of companies or the animals, yeah, the mammals themselves. It, it was very enjoyable to watch. <laughs> what fun. Now, um, let's start right at the beginning. What is a definition of dementia, Tim? Okay, how long is a piece of string? Well, first of all, dementia is not a disease. Dementia is a condition. It's a syndrome. It's a collection of um, conditions that uh, causes d- distress to an individual. It gets confused with disease. The best way to describe it is this. Essentially, it's dementia is impairment of, in short and then long-term memory. It's associated with abstract thinking, um, impairment in judgment and insight, and personality change. Uh, it only becomes an issue if those disturbances are severe enough to either affect the individual's work, their social activities, their relationships, or their safety. So dementia is like a form of confusion is probably the best way to describe it. Mm. Unfortunately, a lot of people hear the word Alzheimer's think, oh, Alzheimer's is dementia. Alzheimer's is a disease that creates a dementia condition. Other diseases... Ah, okay. Right. There are other diseases like vascular disease or Parkinson's disease. In fact, there's over 100 plus different diseases that will cause a dementia. Now, then there's some confusion over, is it clinical dementia or dementia? Example, uh, if someone is dehydrated uh, or suffering from, okay, lack of sleep, they can have the same symptoms of a dementia, being confusion, loss of memory Mm. and poor coordination. But that can be treated. But for clinical dementia, it's actually caused by a disease which is actually destroying neurons or brain cells in a person's brain. And as those brain cells are killed off, they do not replace, they do not grow back. As time goes on, more and more these brain cells eventually do die, and that starts affecting the that part of the brain, and hence the behaviours and the physical activity that part of the brain is responsible for will start to show symptoms. And the most common symptoms are short-term memory loss. Alzheimer's is one of the diseases. It accounts for about 70% of uh, cases generally uh, of the disease that creates the condition. Uh, but as I said before, there's over 100 different diseases that will cause a, a, a clinical dementia. So to, to reflect back to you and to check that I understand it, <clears throat> we have got diseases which can cause a clinical dementia. Correct. And we have lifestyle choices which can present dementia symptoms yes that's a good way of looking at uh, uh, a thing known like delirium yeah delirium will often get misdiagnosed as dementia and vice versa now right. delirium could be caused by dehydration yeah it could be to uh, reactions to medications mm-hmm. it could be there's quite a few things that can cause a inverted commas a delirium mm. but that can be treated yes. you know if i've interacted with a, uh, an individual and they've got delirium it's, like it's a very hot day yeah you know they've got heat stroke or uh, heat exhaustion or lack of fluids simply by getting some fluids and electrolytes back into them that can actually reduce 
reduce the dementia symptoms. Right. Same if uh, uh, what they call, uh, I think the correct phrase is uh, polypharmacy. If people are getting uh, uh, quite a different groups of different types of um, pharmaceutical drugs, uh, the cocktail of all of those can cause adverse effects hmm. and it can cause confusion or loss of memory. Yeah. But again, that can be treated. Most recently, you may have heard of um, that uh, American singer Chris Christopherson. He was for years diagnosed with Alzheimer's. They've recently discovered it's not Alzheimer's, it's actually Lyme disease. Yes. And now they've identified that, they've now treated that, and hence his memory is coming back. Yes. So all in all, to make it really simple, dementia is very, very difficult to diagnose. Right. It's not a single test or a single analysis or... The sad thing is the only real way to find out if it is a, inverted commas, a disease that causes dementia is post-mortem. Right. That is the only, at this, there's a lot of indicators now to help show that, but the only absolutely true way is that post-mortem. Okay. So later in the show, um, we're going to talk about what we can do to support ourselves and to address a lot of those key lifestyle factors that can lead us to be in that confused state. So that might be where we're talking about this this reversible early signs of dementia or signs of memory loss or, you know, that the, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. Um but bringing it back to where the neurons are dying, that actually is a disease. It's an illness. It's progressive. Yep. Uh, there is no cure for Alzheimer's at the Correct. moment. And, and that needs a uh, medical diagnosis. Correct. And actually, you need the medical diagnosis to access any of the support networks. Absolutely. That is one of the key takeaways from today. Uh, people, there are a lot of support mechanisms out there, uh, both uh, in the community and on the medical side. But because of the state of the, uh, because of the type of disease, um, to access these support mechanisms which are there, you need to have a diagnosis, a correct diagnosis. And that can only happen first by going through your general practitioners or geriatricians. Okay. And uh, you, you can't just contact you know, the health department and go, okay, I think my husband or wife may have uh, dementia. You need to get the diagnosis first. Gosh, um, hard, isn't it? Because the, the, it's, a, it's a long route and yet you actually need the support quite quickly and if you don't have the funds to access private mm -hmm. uh, healthcare, you really do need that support within the community. You do need a lot of support in the community but you also need to take a certain amount of positive steps on yourself. Uh, one of the many conversations I've had with a lot of GPs is that people aren't coming to the surgery to, to be checked, be, yeah. to, to, to rule out what it's not yeah. because a lot of things could actually, like I said, delirium yes. um, or um, other... Um, yeah, it might be the medication you're exactly. on that's actually contributing. All right, let's, come, let's have a quick little break and when we come back, we will talk about the types of communities that are most at risk. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Um, we are back talking with uh, Tim England who is a dementia champion. Welcome back, Tim. Thank you very much. We are going to talk now about the communities that are most at risk. Now, uh, my understanding of obviously the majority of people that get Alzheimer's, and we'll talk primarily about the disease, if that's okay for now. Absolutely. It is, um, is the older age group, 65 plus, is that correct? 
Uh, yes, that is correct. Um, even though it's, it, it's, it's not a disease, or it's not a natural part of ageing. I want to stress that to start with, yeah. But people who are older tend to tend to have more cases of it because it's it's just the kind of the way it seems to go along. But it's not a natural part of aging. Let me Worth stress. stressing. Yeah, I've yeah. got to stress that. Like people go, oh, I get memory loss. We all forget things. Yeah, yeah we all forget where we left our car keys. We all forget uh, people's names who we don't see on a regular basis. That's normal. Okay, mm-hmm. we've got so much going on in our mind and the information we're taking in daily, we forget things. It happens. We get tired, we forget things. You know. But forgetting that you, where you left your car keys isn't that bad. Forgetting that you have a car, forgetting that you know what a car is used for, that's a little bit different. So the signs and symptoms are quite subtle. They tend to start being picked up more uh Age is a risk factor uh, over the age of 65 in Australia right now. Probably about one person in 10 will develop uh, a level of dementia uh, over the age of 65. Uh, over the age of 85, it's probably more like one in four will develop signs and symptoms of, uh, of a dementia. But what is actually causing that dementia, if it's disease, is it lifestyle, is it... Um, uh, allergic reaction to drugs and so forth. Um, that's where it gets. That's where you need a diagnosis to try and find out what it's not, compared to what it is. And that's when they when they do go through, um, uh, go visit their GPs. And their GP is key here. This is the key component. You need to. There's a lot of stigma involved with uh, dementia. There's a lot of fear. Uh, but you do need to go to GPs and talk to them about it. You know, if you have worries about yourself or a loved one, please, please talk to your GPs. Uh, they are the linchpin. They will direct you. They can either organise some basic tests to rule out what it's not, or they can put you onto a specialist like maybe a geriatrician who's a GP who specialises in diseases of the aged, or a psychologist psychologist or uh, educational therapist, someone to, who may be a little bit more trained in those particular subtleties because it's very difficult to pick up the small nuances that someone may present that may indicate there could be something there or there's something could not be there. So the GP is the absolute key. It's a bit sad that as a community or as people we're worried about what other people think of us so we don't actually go and get help that's that's sad it is it's it's like uh, i've had this had this conversation with many people uh, over many years it's similar to when a lot of us were younger lucy and i when we were very very young title kids in the 60s and 70s um people heard the word cancer and they kind of went oh um i can't really talk about that we avoided it like the plague we just didn't but today you hear the word cancer and people go okay cancer right what's your options and people will talk about it mm. they hear the word alzheimer's or the word dementia and it's a stigma people don't want to talk about it and that they're fearful they're scared they go oh there's something wrong with me or wrong with them no it's 
it, it may be a dementia. It may not be. You need to find out. You need to rule out the things that it's not. So if you do discover that it is a, a condition, then you can start sorting the right type of treatment and the right type of support mechanisms to support that individual, individual and, more importantly, their family carers. They are the unsung, hidden patient. They will suffer as the condition, as much as the individual, if not more so, but people don't recognise that they are also part of the um, support plan as well. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about them a little later, specifically about what support we can have for carers. Um, there are an, There's another group of people who we haven't really touched on yet, and that's um, young people who uh, are experimenting with drugs. Ecstasy has definitely been linked with Alzheimer's more recently. Um, the, the, there are... Um, changes that these drugs bring to the brain that is precipitating a uh, tendency towards Alzheimer's that hasn't really been seen before and therefore dementia. Yeah, I, I haven't done a lot of work in that area myself. Uh, it is a, a growing area of research, um, so, such also as well as alcoholism as well. Yeah. Uh, anything that's going to be affecting the uh, neurochemistry of the brain needs to be looked at. So because uh, more and more research is in this area to, to, do, to, to find two things. One, hopefully a cure. And secondly, a way of uh, treating the conditions better. So the researchers are studying everywhere. They're, you wouldn't believe the stuff they're, they're looking at that 10 years ago they would have been considered. But now they're going, you know, as you said, what's happening with, with, with young people with drugs or alcohol or uh, is it a generic component? Is it lifestyle? Is it a combination of all of that? Yeah, I think really the... The potential that we have to really look outside the box and talk about the combination of lifestyle, our choices, what we're prepared to look at and what we're not prepared to look at. Because so many of these things are coping mechanisms for dealing with what we're not dealing with in life. So alcohol can be used as a coping mechanism. Drugs can be used as a coping mechanism to not deal with the emotional stuff that we go through in our day-to-day, -day, with what we see, with the appalling behaviour of man's inhumanity to man. You know, I have people on the show all the time who can't deal with those hurts or talk about the fact that as a as a human being we're really struggling with dealing with those hurts. So if what if in not dealing with those primary pain, that primary pain in our lives emotionally, we're then going to coping mechanisms which are masking then symptoms which we actually need to pay attention to, which could mean that we could change the trajectory and it could be lifestyle and we could actually bring our brain back on course and our memory and everything else or we we numb the symptoms so much that it actually we don't catch a disease until it's far more progressed than it would normally be i i think more your second point is probably more more valid that um we as humans we mask you know yeah, yeah, we're stoic. You know, we oh, will be right. Oh, I've got a headache. I'll be right. There's nothing. Or we'll take tablets for it, or as you said, alcohol or whatever. And we, um, especially the males of this planet, uh, we don't see doctors. We don't talk about problems. Uh, that's why we do also, uh, I do a lot of work with uh, our local men's shed uh, with dementia, because the whole idea of the men's shed is for men to talk about 
health issues. And we've actually introduced a number of um, clients there who have a, a clinical dementia. And we go there and we, we interact with them. Uh, and that has had a spin-off. We're now not just on there with the individuals helping them um, get back into society the best they can, but also the other men there are now beginning to talk about symptoms or ideas and their own health, which is having a, a fantastic branch off into that area as well. It's crucial. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think the, that communication between men... Um, is fundamental and it's something that isn't supported in our society we we tell people to suck it up and get on with it and man up and all of those things and you know when when you see the trauma that a lot of people experience in their lives if they don't have an opportunity to to talk about it and express it then we do have to develop coping mechanisms and if those coping mechanisms are affecting the neurochemistry of our brain then we have a physiological problem coming from an emotional problem, an initial emotional problem. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of research in the last um, decade, decade, decade or so uh, by um, by dementia experts in that area. Uh, to, to, to again, yeah, because the, the the symptoms are subtle; they will take many, many years, maybe decades, to really surface. So they're really going back, saying, yeah. Let's look at people in their teens, people in their 20s. Mm. What are subtle indicators there that sh- could indicate there could be some issue as time goes on? Yeah. And again, is it lifestyle? Is it environmental? Is it chemical? Mm. Is it a combination? Is it genetic? They're doing a lot of work on the ge- um, genetic side because uh, there's a lot of um, evidence to support that. But also on the genetic side, other influences like, you know, the, the foods we eat, is that having an effect, yes or no? Yeah. yeah. They've done the same thing with other diseases like cancers and, and so forth. So they're, they're looking everywhere. It's fantastic. And I think the more we do, the better. Um, I was looking at one of the programs that they had on Catalyst. And that was fantastic about music and how it was accessing parts of the brain. Now, to me, that really confirms the hypothesis that there is there are parts of the brain that shut down, but there are parts of the brain that stay that can be refired through memory. So whether it be through music or through touch, um, and we'll come back to touch. So we're just focusing this little bit on music. It is. It was amazing to watch mm-hmm. the video mm-hmm. of someone how they were walking, how they physically were constricted in their movement, and then music was put on from a pastime that they used to mm-hmm. that they were a, a ballroom dance or whatever, and they had free flowing mu- movement. Yep, it's not just music; it's music and dance. Yeah. Oh, look, I could talk to you for hours in that area. There's been so much research and so much positive outcomes yeah. where just the simple act of putting, uh, choosing the correct music for the individual, you've got to do your history, you need to find out, you, know, you don't have something inappropriate, but uh, putting some uh, simple headphones on, playing some jazz music, and people have just lit up mm-hmm. and they become articulate again. Now, this is usually towards the advanced stage of the condition mm. uh, where things are getting pretty nasty, but it allows them to connect back into their world again. Yes. It allows them to communicate to the best of their ability. It gives them joy and it gives them a better quality of life. Absolutely. And that's what it's about. We all enjoy music. All of us have our favourite bits of views that bring back emotions. 
just because someone has a a, a dementia doesn't mean they don't they still connect they still have that connection yeah what they're trying to do and this sounds kind of sad but a person who especially in the advanced stages all they're trying to do is communicate with their outside world the best of their ability because mm-hmm. they're losing the slowly but surely losing the ability to do that music and touch are two of the most fundamental ways they can have that connection back to their shrinking universe mm-hmm. it's phenomenal the positive impact it has is fantastic yeah i think you made a a point there about taking care to get the correct type of music because Mm -hmm. i know music can also tip you straight into i know for young people of you know it can tip you straight into a suicidal mode if Mm -hmm. if that's actually what the impress of the music is because it all comes with you know the some dark music it's about you know why do i live so you've got to be a little bit careful about the yeah. energy that's coming through that music yeah. too haven't you and you probably notice that I'm, I'm smiling because i think about what's going to be happening with the baby boomers who yeah. are now retiring and as things go on they will not want to listen to world war ii ditties played around the piano no. they will want their acdc they will want their <laughs> they will want their pink floyd they will want their yeah. rock and roll because that's their era they grew up in yeah i think it would be quite traumatic to take them to i, I think anything taking us back to war is quite traumatic but <laughs> i did in this program there was one woman who was was played some of the vera lynn and, exactly. and it really brought her 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 back and that was rather beautiful to watch wonderful well stay with us we will be back just after this um, talking about dementia friendly communities you are listening to triple h 100.1 fm and stay in the loop with lucy welcome back we have a show on dementia today with my guest tim england welcome tim Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It's very interesting listening on the news to these people who are supposed to be peak athletes. They are their body is their temple. They have made their career about about you know making their body this this working machine, and yet they are still putting things in it that are getting them banned. And, and and we we were talking off air about you know young people and the frontal cortex not being quite developed and therefore sort of the tendency to to um, take drugs and affect that brain chemistry uh, younger and younger and not really understanding caring worrying about the consequences because you know after all YOLO you only live once. You know? <laughs> Anyway, this section, we are talking about dementia-friendly community. So let's set the stage, if we can, Tim. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about, you know, what's the picture for us in our community around here? Okay. Okay, Okay. you were given some great numbers and stats before regarding the the numbers of uh, individuals with dementia in Australia and worldwide. And they're all scary numbers and interesting numbers and they're great num- it's great to have that information but for a lot of people i've discovered those kind of numbers they go oh yeah yeah the numbers are that large they can't grasp them so let's put it this way currently in australia based on the most up-to-date analysis there's about 1800 cases diagnosed each week which equates to one new diagnosis on average every six minutes in australia now that's as it is right now. Now, break that down even further. Let's look at our local community. Let's look at our community here, you know, the Kurungai, Hornsby, North Shore area. Um, I, these 
figures are quite reliable. I've yep. looked at the reports. Uh, there's about 120,000 people uh, in the population in this area. As of the beginning of 2016, about 2,800 known cases of dementia in the community as we speak. Wow. And about 70% on average of those individuals are still living in the community at some level and wanting to remain in the community. And also look at the same stats. Uh, the growth rate or the increase rate is about one new diagnosis in our local community every five days. Wow. And that's diagnosis. Those are the people who are going to the doctor, as we were saying or get, earlier. Or getting some form of diagnosis. Mm. Um, in the next 15 years, that's going to be a, approximately 1,400 individuals and their families are going to be impacted by this condition. Now, a lot of people, when I've mentioned that kind of number, they go, but that's 15 years. I go, okay, think about it this way. We can still remember, it's the Olympics happening right now. We can still remember when Sydney had the Olympics. Remember that time? Remember that feeling? Remember the atmosphere? We remember it like it was yesterday? That was 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. So 15, 16 years is not a long time. No. Definitely. So in the next 15 years, in this community, in the Kuringai, uh, Hornsby, North Shore area, about thirteen to 1,400 new cases and their families are going to be impacted on top of what's already there. Because that's the key, isn't it? With the, it's not just the person who has dementia or who has Al- the Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the, it's the family and the ripple effect yeah. of that And it goes further diagnosis. than that. It's also the ripple effect into the community. Yeah. And that is the area that it's kind of untouched, unsung. There's, yeah. Everyone talks about, oh, we, can, we need to do more, we can do more, but no one's really stepped up. Okay. Or, or, or stepped over the line and say, let's start doing this. And that is my personal drive. Mm-hmm. My personal drive with the help of some fantastic people around here, uh, talking about the, the shed at St. Ives, Paul and his team. Thank Big you. Big shout out to the Big shed Big shout out to those guys. Oh, they, they took a gamble when I wanted to introduce a, a couple of uh, people there who have got this condition and they were sl- a bit... Can we do this? Once, and some of that was fear and stigma. Some of it was not understanding. Some of it was also, is it going to be safe? And once they discovered what we were doing, boy, oh boy, yeah, open arms. Another big shout out to my local Rotary Club at St. Ives. These guys and girls there have supported me once I presented this issue to them and what we want to do. They have now made developing dementia-friendly communities in the St. Ives area as one of their priorities. So thank you to those guys. Yeah, thank you to the Rotary Club of St. Ives. Now, I, I heard your um, Rotary Club presentation at the Wurunga branch. Yes, you were there. What a dynamic bunch. I, I hadn't been to a Rotary <laughs> meeting before and I, I was unfortunately, I was too sick to go to the um, one of the St. Ives mm. meetings on Wednesday, so I apologise for that. Don't worry, we'll get you there. I know, I know. I'll come to a meeting. I, I think it's a miracle that I'm here today, so I have to say a big thank you to my dentist who managed to remove an abscess from my tooth yesterday and uh, <laughs> that was surprising. Um, so really, what is a dementia community? What is a dementia-aware community okay. and how, what would that look like on practical terms within this area? That is a very good question. I'll help you understand it this way. A dementia-friendly community is a town, a village or uh, a city, a location. Uh, 
where people with dementia are understood, they are respected and supported, and they are confident that they can contribute to ongoing community life. And where people understand the condition, where people with the condition feel they are included and involved and have choices to control their own lives in their own community. So in other words, that they're, that shopkeepers understand what dementia is, how it can present itself, how subtle confusion can be there and know how to interact with this individual in a way that gives them respect without fear. Bus drivers, um, um, council workers, everyone, you know, mm. um, um, taxi element drivers. element of patience, I feel, like meeting someone and looking below the surface of what's presented because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, dementia yeah. can come across as forgetfulness, but also sometimes the insecurity of that can be quite aggressive as well, can't okay. it? There's a thing known as what they call the BPSDs, which mm-hmm. stand for the Behavioural and Psychological Symptoms of Dementia. Okay, these are um, the manifestations of the condition. This is how they, the uh, condition of dementia, will present itself through an individual. Now, depending on their personality, the extent of the uh, brain cell damage, so on and so forth, it can present in several ways. Uh, forgetfulness and confusion are obvious ones, but other things, how it can manifest itself is things like aggression or aggressive behaviour, uh, yelling, uh, bad language, inappropriate behaviour. could also be anxiety or apathy. There can be depression. There can be hallucinations. There can be uh, repetitive behaviours. Uh, so it can present itself in a multitude of ways Continually, and those can also change. So it's not just someone uh, being presenting as if they are a little bit confused. They may get aggressive or come across being aggressive. And the simple reason why they may seem to be aggressive is they are scared. They're confused in their own mind. Hmm. They're in the street. They're lost. They don't know where they are. It's like looking at... um, and I hate to use this analogy, but it's the best one I can use to help people understand. It's like uh, interacting with a young child who's scared and confused. They're not too sure what's going on. They need reassurance. This is exactly the same. Don't, they're not ch- children. I'm not saying you treat them tra- childlike. But just because they are confused, they may come across being assertive because they're scared. So one of the easiest things you can do once you understand how to interact is it's not so much what you say but how you say it and one of the main things i try to teach every family member is involved do three very important things don't correct don't argue and laugh (laughs) seriously yeah if the individual has the condition they think the sky is yellow guess what the sky's yellow work with them what, what, don't have a fight. Don't have an argument because they won't agree with you. And guess what? They'll win the fight. Mm-hmm. And it will just escalate to more aggression. So if the individual thinks the sky's yellow, the sky's yellow. And Work actually, you're right. You know, it's actually quite fun sort of uh, thinking that you can actually just go into their world for a little bit mm. and, you know, have some bizarre conversations and banal conversations. You, you, you need to validate their world. Yeah. You, know, you, you know, Okay, you, you, that, that, you may, a family member, and I laugh at this, may find a iron in the refrigerator. That might happen. Right. But is it 
earth-shattering? No. Is it ruining the world? Yes. Have a laugh with it. Now, I think this is where we'll go to a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about carers because for me... If I find a an iron in the fridge, I can definitely find it funny unless I'm at the end of my tether and I've taken that iron out of the fridge seven times already and it's back in there. And then I might lose my cool. So so let's talk about how what things we can do for ourselves to make sure that we can be the most patient, the most loving, the most connected carers we can possibly be. Welcome back. Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. I have... Tim England with me. Welcome back, Tim. <laughs> Welcome back, Tim. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's always good to have a mic on when we start talking. Um, now, we are going to talk about carers mm. and how we can look after the carers, the unsung heroes, really. Um, yep. A lot of burden is put on carers. It takes a lot of pressure off the health system. It takes a lot of pressure off the funds in the health system. They actually save a lot of money um, and... And they're very often unpaid and unrecognised. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly as you're talking about in the early stages of Alzheimer's, yeah. where the majority of the damage is done pre-diagnosis. Absolutely. Sometimes the relationships actually can break down pre-diagnosis because yes. there's so much confusion. There's the denial. No, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Well, there is. Yep. But, you know, no, there isn't. Don't you try and put me in a home or whatever. Mm-hmm. The fear factor. Yeah, absolutely. Um are there, are there times where uh, really people aren't being listened to and it just goes further than it needs to get to? Oh, <laughs> how much time have you got? <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I've, I've dealt with, uh, over the years, lots of individual cases but fall into that area, definitely. The, the carers are the unsung heroes. They are uh, equally under pressure with the condition as the individual has, in, in some cases even more. Because you've got to look at it this way. Because it's not, it's, even though dementia is not a condition uh, of part of natural ageing, but people who are aged tend to have more of it, their spouses are of a similar age. And as you start ageing, as all of us age, unfortunately our bodies aren't as strong as they used to be, we may have other ailments that also may be involved, like arthritis or hearing loss or vision loss or just the fact that we're getting older, we're not as strong as we were. Mm. So the spouses, they've also got their own medical challenges as well, as well as trying to care for someone who has got physical challenges and maybe also a dementia as well. So it, it's it's... But the, the pressure is enormous. Yeah. So there are support mechanisms in place to help the carers. But the first step is the carers need to want to get help or accept help. And I love our older generation. They're stoic. They are resilient. They, they don't usually want to put their hand up and say, I want help, but you need it. And there are some great support groups which I'm going to mention right now. The first is the aged care assessment team. That's all known as ACAC. The local one here at Hornsby, uh, there is, uh, they are, the, what, what basically what ACAC do, they are the government arm. They all will come out and do an assessment on the family, the individual and the family work out what the situation is and what support mechanisms do you need, not mm. just for the individual, but also for the family. Yes. So they're the ones who basically are the gatekeepers will allocate where you go there to get funding, get support, support groups and so forth. However, ACAT can only do an assessment once your GP has organised a, uh, 
uh, intervention or do uh, okay. uh, interviews to find out what what is the condition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you can contact ACAG, but one of the first things I want to know is have you got a they can arrange. Uh, geneticians to visit you to do the interviews and do an analysis but it's better if you go through gps beforehand other uh, advisory groups is one that's known as the b uh, dbmas which is the ba- dementia behavioral management advisory service this is a 24-hour helpline funded by the federal government in every state and territory in the country that's great what's okay. the number for that their number is one eight double zero Six double nine seven double nine. Now, what these guys do? They're funded by the Australian government. They provide individual support for carers of people living with dementia. Through uh, of those people, their behaviours and psychological needs are rapidly changing and impacting on the carer's life and the individual's quality of life. So they look at the holistic view. Can, and they will again. They they've got support teams that will come out and work with you. But again, you need to the the, the carers need to be stoic enough to stand and say, "I need help. Yeah. I'm not coping yes. anymore." Yeah. The families have to get involved. Sometimes I've advised families, the younger families, step over your parents and make the calls yourself because your parents are not coping with this. Mm. The third group is uh, obviously Alzheimer's Australia. They are the uh, they have a, a, a national dementia helpline. Again, twenty four hours. Their number is one eight hundred one double zero five double zero. They are the go to people for uh, education support. They can point you in the right directions. Again, they are the people to contact. So, out of the main two is the. Um, Dementia Behaviour Management Service, which is funded by the government, and the other is Alzheimer's Australia. Either one or both, they uh, have got 24-hour um, uh, line there. Uh, there are counsellors who will can assist you uh, immediately. Now, there's also the opportunity to educate yourself a little bit with a MOOC, yes. isn't there? Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us about okay. the MOOCs? <laughs> the MOOC, the Massive Open Online Course, Understanding Dementia. Now, this is actually run by the University of Tasmania through their Wicking Education Centre. Uh, they are one of the leading research centres on the planet in the area of dementia. Now, they have a free online uh, program available to the entire public. Uh, it's a nine-week online course. It starts at the end of August and it covers everything from the brain, the disease and the person. It's three hours a day over nine, uh, over nine weeks and there's about a two-week break in between. And in the last four years, over 70,000 people across 170 countries have actually done it. Wow. In fact, I originally did it back in 2012 and that led me on to my... Uh, to do my Bachelor of Dementia uh, Care through the University of Tasmania. Mm. Yeah, they're one of the leading edu- uh, and they describe dementia, educate you in dementia in a very simple, realistic, uh, easy-to-know way. Fantastic. We'll go to some community service announcements. The first one up is Aged Care with Ease, which is particularly appropriate for us. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk about that group of... Um, 
of conditions we were talking about earlier, what can we do for ourselves? We're going to primarily be talking about the chatter in our head that we really need to address how to bring ourselves into our body and actually give our brains a little bit of uh, quiet time and downtime to be present in our bodies, um, paying attention to self-care, um, care with what we consume and getting support for traumatic events in our lives. All that after the next break. Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We're talking dementia at the moment, dementia awareness, uh, the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia. We've really covered an awful lot in this um, in this show so far. Uh, welcome back to Tim, who's our dementia champion. Hello, thank you. In this last little bit, we're going to talk about how we can actually uh, look at early signs of dementia, but from a condition point of view, something that we can do for ourselves to make sure that we're uh, really very body aware, aware of what is normal and what isn't normal, what might be due to um, uh, some medication that we're taking, are we drinking enough water? Really, it's, um, it comes down to building an awareness of our body, doesn't it, Tim? Mm, indeed it does. Indeed so. It does. The practices that we can do, I mean, I just think about my, my own life and what I do in my day-to-day -to, -day to make sure that I'm aware of how my body works. If I am hungry, chances are I'll ask myself if I'm thirsty first because the signs for thirsty and hungry can get confused. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I think I'm doing an amazing service to myself so that, you know, when I, because I'm studying um, public health, I know the, the rates for obesity, I know the rates for diabetes, both of those things are areas that I want to be very aware of. So if I drink water, I help myself on a number of levels and clearly now I can, uh, I can add that I'm making sure that, that I uh, keep delirium at bay. Would that be correct? <laughs> yes, that, that is one of the yeah. many things. We said to keep this humorous. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm putting it out there. Yes. All right. So drinking water can, yeah. can help you um, mm -hmm. address obesity. It yeah. can help with type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. uh, on my logic. Mm -hmm. And it can also help with delirium. So drinking enough water. Being aware, communicating with your chemist, communicating with your doctor, what drugs you're taking for what med on what medications you're taking, mm -hmm. and uh, for what. Being aware of the level of alcohol consumption. Mm -hmm. uh, being aware if you're having alcohol every night, that actually is not within the safe parameters. You've got to look at, you know, it's they say two units a day, but you need to say if you need it every single night. We're looking at something that's more a dependence as opposed to a mm -hmm. choice. Mm -hmm. You know, really look at that because we're we're talking about what affects the neurochemistry of the brain here, and um, and all of those things do. Um, chatter in our heads it's kind of something that we pretend isn't important and doesn't matter, but the constant doing the constant multitasking the constant noise in our heads actually it's something that is is actually quite dangerous do you have any practices that you do to slow yourself down or shall i just keep going on what i do <laughs> <laughs> um well i have a lot of chatter in my head over the last few years because of the amount of study i've been doing yes. and my brain's always on on the go but i have actually one of my um uh, clients I visit on a regular basis and uh, his name will go uh, uh, remain nameless uh, if he hears this he will know exactly who I'm talking about and he's had um, some health issues over the years but he meditates mm -hmm. 
he stops and he goes, you know, he, he just says little things like just choose not to get angry or choose not to get sad or choose, you just just relax the brain. Mm-hmm. Just take some time out for yourself and mm-hmm. just do what you like to enjoy, whatever that may be. Um, and that falls onto some of the research in this area regarding quite often it gets asked, people ask, what can I do to stave this off? Simple, live a healthy lifestyle. Yes. For, like, for, like, how do you stave off diabetes? Have a healthy lifestyle. That's how right. do I stave off heart disease? A healthy lifestyle. That's right. It all boils down, and healthy lifestyle. We, we're not children. We know what a healthy lifestyle is. It's yeah. regular exercise. It's eating well. It's drinking moderation. It's getting plenty of sleep. We know It's what, addressing the stress yeah, in our lives. It's simply doing it. Yes. It's just actually making that conscious choice to make those those choices that we know we should make. Yeah. And there's also the other part with that chatter, but also with the um, help to as people saying stave off, and I put this in inverted commas, how can I prevent this from happening? Well, guess what? You can try to reduce or modify the risk factors. There's certain genetic things you can't Absolutely. avoid. It's there. Absolutely. But one of the areas of a lot of research and an awful lot of evidence is and you've probably heard this a lot, learn a language, mm. play an instrument, do something totally different that exercises the brain. It's called neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. Now, what that simply is, in a, in a simplest form, is, okay, brain cells die or they, they, they can get killed off by the disease. They, they, they don't replenish. But neuroplasticity is the technique of doing things with the brain that allows the te- the connections between the remaining uh, brain cells to become stronger that's how memories are laid down i'm not going to go into the biological what happens inside inside the neurons but basically the connection between each neuron becomes stronger and stronger and stronger as memories are being formed hence they get locked away What's happening with Alzheimer's is that part of the brain known as the hippocampus, which does the short-term memory, is being destroyed. So that's why short-term memory goes, but long-term memory is still there. By doing things like playing instruments, now I'm saying if you've always played an instrument, it's not so much that, it's more like doing something totally different. You know, like if you've never learned a language in life, learn a language. Why? You're using different parts of the brain or you're strengthening the remaining connections and that's classes neuroplasticity, and that can help stave off, or they're doing research to indicate that, stave off some of the most severe parts of this condition for as long as possible. So um, uh, education, earlier education, you know, especially you know, just because you've, you've finished high school or university, still keep learning. The more you're using the brain in areas that are challenging you, you're building up a certain resistance, so many believe, to help fight off not just these conditions, but other neurological conditions later on in life. So I would say it's a balance. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. We do have to keep the brain active. We do have to learn and, and do different parts of the brain. But the point is we have to be in our body and listen to our body because if we keep going into our brain and making it all about what we're thinking and doing and learning, then we're actually going to disregard what the conversation that's coming from our body that says... I need to rest. Oh, no, but I need to learn my Spanish, so I'm just going to lie here and learn my Spanish. So your brain's still going. That's where the meditation is mm-hmm. is valuable because your your client and, uh, you know, I know from years of experience of meditating, it actually 
brings your mind and your body to the same place. Absolutely. So meditation that says go to your happy place, that's not practical for someone um, that we're talking about. Uh, well, I, d I certainly don't share it with young people who are doing exams or in moments of high stress because there is absolutely no use going to your happy place when you're sitting trying to calm yourself down during a panic attack when you've got to come out with a 400-word essay or, you know, it, you, you've actually got to be very much in your body. It's got to be tactile. You've got to say, okay, my heart's beating. My, you know, I, I've got the saber-toothed tiger ready to chase me and my body is saying, right, we're going to do it. That's what the nervous system's programmed to do. Correct. We have to say, no, there is no saber-toothed tiger. I'm in this room. I've got my feet on the floor. I can feel my body sitting in the seat. I'm very supported. I can feel I've made sure that I'm warm. I made sure that I um, am comfortable. I've made sure my collar is right or, you know, my shirt isn't coming up at the back and it's keeping my kidneys warm. All of those things, very body-orientated work. And that's where the, um, the support you can get through your community councils with yoga and gentle exercise in the park is equally very important. Uh, my, my understanding and, and the research that I've looked at says although keeping our brain active is important, keeping ourselves in our bodies and our connection with our bodies has to be equal or we will go into our brain and disappear into our brain and completely forget that we even have to take care of the body. You've got to keep a, a balance. You know, that's why uh, there's a more research, as you've probably looked at as well, just doing regular exercise yes. uh, is so stimulating, uh, well, just for the body and for the brain. That's right. Uh, and, um, and, and know when to say enough's enough and have a break yeah. and, and to stop. Yeah. It's, it's equally important. And that's what I stress also with carers, that yeah. they have to take time out. We have a thing... For themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes, yes. Now, we have a thing known as respites, which, again, these services I spoke to you about with the um, those numbers, they can help organise respites for the family. Wonderful. And that's equally important because if they are stressed and they're overwhelmed, they're not going to be uh, the best position to, to look after themselves yes. as well as their family. So a lot of the services that... I've provided or others like me, we actually go in the community and we'll give respite services for families. Beautiful. That may be taking the, the individual with the condition away for a number of hours or whatever mm. uh, and allow the family member to have a cup of coffee or go read a book or go to a movie or do nothing. Yeah. I know, I know, imagine that. As equal that. as that, do just to do nothing. nothing. Have a quiet house without having to do something because with someone else. Because if they've got, if they came with someone in this condition, it's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week yes. gig. They need a break and they need to be selfish from time to time oh. and say, I'm taking some time out for me because if I don't, I'm going to end up in a puddle on the ground. Do you know what, Tim? We speak on this show very, very regularly about uh, putting yourself first mm -hmm. and whoever you're caring for second. It has to be that way around. Just as on an aeroplane, when the oxygen goes, you are told to put your mask on first mm -hmm. before you care for the other person. Because if you fail, mm -hmm. well, the other person has no hope anyway. Yeah, I've had to help intervene in too many of these cases where um, the, the carer has son become ill or mm -hmm. sick or due to stress or just an injury or just, you know, they've twisted an ankle and there's no one else in the family right there and then to step into their role. So the individual who they're caring for has to be put into emergency 
care facilities, which is not ideal no. for everybody. And uh, it just puts more pressure on the whole family and, and it's just not a good quality of life. No, absolutely. Now, you wanted to say something about um, connected communities. You wanted to just add one more thing. Do you remember what it um, was? <laughs> I'm just trying to remember now. Oh, yes, with, with, um, oh, yes, with um, uh, dementia-friendly communities. Um, a lot of people have asked me, said, how do we do this? I said, well, it's not rocket science. It's, it's already been done very successfully, uh, especially in Europe and the UK. Uh, Australia used to be very, very good at doing this kind of thing. We've fallen behind a little bit. Um, creating a dementia-friendly community, the tools and the resources are already here. It's getting the community involved to saying, let's start a conversation. Let's see what we can do about raising awareness. Some of the two stoic examples in Australia have been the uh, at Port Macquarie. Port Macquarie is Australia's first dementia-friendly community, followed up closely by Kayama. Now, I have a goal. One of my goal, my goal is with the help of Rotary and the Men's Shed and other groups around me, we want to create a dementia-friendly Kurungai. Ah. And that is going to start with the first thing is we are going to be organising a number of uh, free public awareness programs. So people can just come in and learn more about what this condition is, what it really is, what it's not and what people who have the condition of families are looking for in a dementia-friendly community because it's very specific. It's not just uh, one rule across the blank for everybody. It's every community is different. What is what that community needs to support the individual? And one of my classic lines is from a client of mine, his wife. I ask her, what do you want to see in a friendly community? She said, simply, when my husband, Bob, I'll say his name is Bob, goes out for a walk around the block, that I know that he's safe. That if he bumps into somebody, he's a bit confused, the individuals there will have an idea how to reinteract with him. Mm. She just wants peace of mind that he will be safe when he goes out walking around the streets to go to the local shopping centre at St. Ives. That she just feels that he's safe. That's all. Oh, I think it's a fantastic opportunity. And we can do that in our community if we all pull together. It's about being engaged and uh, having a willingness. We're coming to the end of our show today. And what I can see from what I've gathered from the show today is that there are some things we can't do something about. And there are some things we certainly can do something about. And that there's a discipline called for in our own active engagement with our own health and well-being. The process of getting corporate responsibility and government responsibility might be a little slower and it might fluctuate as we have different governments in, in place. So we have to work primarily on our own health and in our own communities first as we get corporates perhaps to put people before profits. That takes a little bit longer. But we can be the change we want to see in our lives, as I say on this show all the time, and by choosing wisely what we put in our mouths, we can make one step towards that. As consumers, we can change the landscape of what is offered to us by manufacturers and food providers. And if we stop eating food that's laden with products that don't support our our body, then actually that will help. And I'm saying that knowing that I have completely forgotten to talk about Dr. Pearl Mutter's um, 
research about dementia and Alzheimer's and grains. So I'm going to have to put that on the website because it's it's really fantastic um, example of how what we consume affects the way our brain works. So I will put that on the website because it 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 really is it's a very smart way to consider um, introducing some changes into our lives. I want to thank my guest in the studio today, Tim England. Thank you very much for being here, Tim. Absolute pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what happens with dementia community groups within our, our our area and our community. And if we can support you in any way in the future, please let us know. Please thank come you. Back. I'll definitely keep you uh, in the loop, as you say. I like that. Thank you very much. So uh, thank you for listening. The podcast will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud um, in the next 24 hours. And if you would like to get updates, then please remember to either like the Facebook page or sign up for updates on um, one of those forums, either SoundCloud or the links for that are through the um, Triple H um, Stay in the Loop with Lucy page. So till then, remember to take a moment to look after you, connect with the amazing people in our community, be kind, be caring, be love, be you. You have been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.